Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It's Thursday, the 24th of September. Today, we're going to brief you on getting home from overseas and why Aussies are having to pay business class fares to get on a plane. So we were their puppets waiting for a flight that was never going to come because they didn't tell us the only way you're going to get out is if you pay more money or pay for that business class ticket. They didn't tell us. Why it's so frustrating in just a moment on the briefing. First, Jan Fran is here. Hello, Jan. Hello, Tom. Good morning to you. Should we do the news? Let's do it. There's an update on the case of American woman Brianna Taylor, who was shot dead during a botched police raid. The officer who was fired over the shooting that killed the 26-year-old back in March has been charged. Three counts of wanton endangerment for wantonly placing the three individuals in apartment three in danger of serious physical injury or death. That was Kentucky's Attorney General Daniel Cameron. If Brett Hankinson is found guilty, he could be facing up to 15 years in jail. But these charges don't relate to the shots fired into Brianna Taylor's apartment. He's actually being charged for putting the neighbours in danger. And the two other officers involved will not be charged. Hearing there uh, protests that have taken place right across the United States over several weeks. Uh, Ms. Taylor's death was one of the key catalysts for those protests, along with the death of African-American man George Floyd. And protesters want all three officers involved in that raid to be charged. So no doubt there'll be some protesters who are really questioning simply charging one officer today. Yeah, and charging him for the impact on the neighbours rather than the impact on Breonna Taylor, who lost her life. They were calling for murder or manslaughter charges. Um, If you want the backstory on Breonna Taylor's death and the campaign around it, it was actually our briefing topic on Tuesday's episode. So if you missed it, you can go and check it out. Faster internet is the promise for another 2 million Aussie homes as part of a $3.5 billion plan to upgrade the NBN. Yes, faster internet. No one's complaining about that, except maybe Labor a little bit, because they reckon that the plan for high-speed fibre-to-the-home services is pretty similar to the 2013 plan that the coalition criticised them for. So here's former Prime Minister Kevin Rudd uh, here. He's the one that took that plan to the federal election in 2013. This is a monumental policy backflip by the Morrison government, which has spent seven long years attacking my government's original plan, only now, seven years later, to begin delivering to Australians what they should have had all along. Mr Morrison deserves no credit whatsoever for this. It doesn't seem that hard to get a former Prime Minister out criticising the government this week. We had Malcolm Turnbull all over the media earlier in the week criticising the government's gas plan. Now Kevin Rudd's clearly got nothing better to do than weigh in on the debate. Um, Here's the rebuttal from the Communications Minister, Paul Fletcher. He's denied the accusations of a backflip, saying... More households are set to benefit under this plan. If we had stuck with the plan that we inherited from Labor, right now there would be up to 5 million fewer premises around the country able to connect to the NBN. Yeah, there's a lot of political noise on this one. Basically, it is very similar to Labor's plan in 2013, but the Coalition's argument has always been that we'll build the technology as we need it rather than 
building it in advance, which is Labor's plan, and it would have been more expensive and it would have taken longer, mm. but we would have had awesome internet before the pandemic. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I think we need it now. With this plan, though, households are set to get it by 2023. Yeah, and by then it will be competing with 5G as well. So it'll be interesting to see how how much bandwidth that has and how useful that is in the broader mix of internet supply. Spitting on a homeless person, ripping the head off a pigeon, smoking a bong on the Harbour Bridge, dropping a cap getting arrested, having sex with an older woman. These are just some of the things on a muck-up day scavenger hunt at an elite boys' school in Sydney that's gone viral for all the wrong reasons. Yeah, the principal of the Shaw School wrote to parents saying that it was deeply offensive and not representative of the school's culture. This story has even made its way to the New South Wales Premier, Gladys Berejiklian. I know from the interactions I've had with students of the class of 2020 how committed they are to getting through their studies, uh, but also how much of a struggle it's been. And I'd like to think that the vast majority of them are doing the right thing by everybody else. So this scavenger hunt was meant to happen last night, uh, Wednesday night, but students were warned um, when this story got out that they'd be expelled if they did the scavenger hunt and police have commented on this too. You've worked hard for the last 12 years or 13 years at school and so you don't want to do something that may jeopardise your future now. That was Police Superintendent Mark Wall there. All right, thanks, Jan. Annika's jumping in in a moment as we find out why people are having to pay business class to get home. In today's briefing, you're going to find out why Australians are having to pay business class fares to get home from overseas. I would hope that those who are looking to come home, um, that we'd be able to do that within months. And uh, and I would hope that uh, we can get as many people home, and if not all of them, by Christmas. There are 25,000 Australians registered to come home at the moment, but that list keeps growing. And last week, the Prime Minister announced they're increasing the cap on arrivals from 4,000 a week to 6,000 a week. So will that make a difference? A common story is that the only way to get back is to pay for a business class fare. That was Nadine's experience. She's a 19-year-old Australian with a very painful story. She went to Portugal on March 2, which was before the government advised people not to go overseas. Yes, and she only got home this month. She got out of quarantine on Friday. Nadine, tell us your story. How hard was it to get home? We had flights um, originally for June and then July and then August 2nd and then August 16th with Emirates. Back in August on the 16th, that was only when Emirates were meant to be flying to Lisbon. So that was our first like real chance to get out of there. We called constantly. um, We were checking the status. We were checking our seats. And then they bumped us off because of the flight caps to Sydney because we only paid for an economy ticket. After this, they gave us um, new tickets for November 8th. We could not financially or health-wise stay another three months. What did they expect us to do, sit around and do nothing? Luckily, we had family and, like, a house and food and a bed to sleep in, but, like, that's not the point. We should be able to get back to our own country. Anyway, so we found another travel agent because our one left us. And then we paid for premium business class tickets with Qatar to get back. And we were out of there within three weeks when we, like, purchased the new tickets. Just terrible. Over $15,000 just to get back. Do you think it's fair that the airlines are making everyone pay business class tickets? It's not fair at all. But from a business point of view, I can understand it. Because why would they send a flight over here 
with 30 people who just pay $1,000 when they can get 15000 plus from two people. It's so wrong. It's discrimination how they're doing that. And, like, people have forked out enough money as it is over there with hotels if they don't have a house like I did and food and currency exchanges and, like, all that other stuff. Was there a bit of a lack of transparency where when you were on those economy flights that kept getting bumped, they didn't just out, out and out say to you, look, if you really want to go, you've got to pay business class? They weren't allowed to say any of that. So we were their puppets waiting for a flight that was never going to come because they didn't tell us the only way you're going to get out is if you pay more money or pay for that business class ticket. They didn't tell us. And when I did call Emirates one day, they said to me, oh, the reason you didn't get on was because you didn't call enough. And I was like, are you serious? I didn't even have a phone over there. Like, it was just so bad, just a nightmare. And then when I did call them, I'm like, what do you expect us to do for three months? He turned around and he said, I would pray. That was 19-year-old Nadine who had to wait in Portugal for six months before she got a flight that only happened once she agreed to pay $15,000 for her and her mother. Neil Hansford is here to explain why that's happening. He's an aviation expert with Strategic Aviation Solutions. Neil, thanks for joining us. I'm struggling to understand why everyone's having to pay business class prices to get home. Can you explain it for us? Are there restrictions on passenger numbers on each plane? Is the economy section then empty and does having a full business class and an empty economy class go against social distancing principles? How does it work? No, social distancing, just just take, just take it out completely. It's not applicable on an aeroplane. The, the fundamental problem is those aircraft that are coming now, which excludes Qantas, which isn't, um, basically their primary role in coming to Australia is to pick up and deliver freight, which is in the, um, in the belly of the aircraft and in some cases in Qatar uh, and people like Emirates, they want Australian rural produce like meat and uh, fruits and everything else. That's the reason they're coming. Now, what they've all appealed for is that the caps, which is restricting how many can come in a day. So if it's 350, that could be spread across six airlines. So that doesn't put very many uh, on the aircraft. Uh, And the other big problem you've got is there's nobody going out. So basically, um, other than any people that are still here, foreigners that haven't left, Australians can't go. You can't get a permit for other than compassionate reasons to actually leave Australia. So there's there's no outbound load. So when you've got no outbound load, restricted inbound, the economics just go out the window of operating an aeroplane. So there's no social distancing which means it doesn't matter that everyone's pushed up into business class. That's just a way of the airline getting the most money they can out of each passenger that's allowed to fly? Well, in the end, if you've only got a few people, you try and put them in an area. If you spread them all over the aircraft, it'd be nigh on impossible to service because you'd be walking past empty seat after empty seat. I'm not saying that some of these overseas airlines, and in most cases owned by foreign governments, are not doing some gouging. Right. and asking people to pay business class fares because they've got a very finite product. They can probably, at best, get 50 returning Australians each, and that's why I suggest that there's got to be better ways and to increase the cap. So if I'm an Aussie in London or Dubai and I want to get back 
How many airlines can I choose from? What's sort of been the reduction in the number of planes coming in to Australia on those long haul oh, flights? Oh, it's it's dramatic. You've probably lost over eighty percent. The ones that are running, if you look at it, are countries that need need produce like Singapore, Emirates, Qatar, uh, and these sorts of carriers. In the case of the United States, what they are bringing is high-value freight. Interesting to hear you say, Neil, that you think there is some price gouging going on by the airlines that are flying at the moment. Can you explain how how that's working? And if, as you say, social distancing on, on the planes is not an issue, why can't they fill up those planes? Because when they get to Australia, like in Sydney, the cap is at the right of this day is 350 people a day to go into quarantine. None are going into Victoria. So, you know, if they filled the plane, they can't go into quarantine. So that's not an option. So what's happening, they're probably getting an allocation of 50. Even if they wanted to fill the plane, there's no, there's no way of getting through the barrier of the quarantine cap on now the the Prime Minister has pushed that the quarantine gap's gone from four to six thousand. Mm. And I, and the other thing, Tom, I think you have to look at is every day we're getting people positive COVID in quarantine. And maybe we've got to look at the countries that they're coming from, that these people who are coming positive, we start stopping returns from those countries because I would imagine it's certainly coming, India would be a problem still, um, and certainly the UK, which is, you know, up to 50,000 people positive a day, that's what's filling up the quarantine. But we can't just make the 6,000, 12,000. We've got to find a new way, like a mass facility, to do this 14-day quarantine. Or people have got to be... uh, tested and be, be negative before they even get on the plane. And that's that's been done in other areas of the world. Every one of those airlines has got an entitlement to come to Australia under their traffic rights. And their primary purpose to come here isn't the people who are sitting in business class. It's what's under the floor, which is high value food. And let's face it, in the, in the Middle East, they require Australian lamb, beef and the like. And in, say, Singapore, they're requiring pork. That's why they're operating the planes at all. The, the fact that they've got any people on them is not part of the economic equation. Now, we know the cap's gone up a little bit, but even with that increase, will that be enough to get everybody back by Christmas or are we going to have to lift it further? No, you're not going to. 6000 6, uh, a week, uh, that, that 25000 keeps to be growing. We, we pull uh, 6000 out. And it's still 25,000. And so it's almost like the milk bottle's being filled up all the time. I think that's the people who are registered with the Australian embassies as wanting to return. And unless somebody makes a big, hairy chested decision and says, right, you people want to return, we'll do as much as we can to get the cost down and maybe partially um, subsidise it but they're going to have to be a bit more flexible and go to somewhere like Howard Springs that can accommodate an aircraft a day at least of that's full with, say, 400 people until that's full and then keep on shuffling the people out back into the domestic airline system to get them home. 
a lot of them are waiting, and I've already got examples of this, of people, they want to go to Brisbane, they can get to Perth, but they don't want to do two weeks in quarantine in Perth and then get back to um, Brisbane and do another two weeks. That's a big part of the problem. It's people want to go to specific destinations and they won't go to Adelaide and do two weeks and then go to Queensland and do two weeks. See, if they, if they wanted to come to Sydney and they go and do the two weeks in Adelaide, they don't have to go and do the two weeks in Sydney. But Brisbane seems to be a major part of the problem in because of its border closures with the other states. So sometimes you've got to, you know, you've got to be a bit flexible. You've got to pick uh, not the perfect solution but a solution if you want to get back. And once we lift the caps, that's still not going to get everybody back by Christmas unless we mount a major campaign as we did at the start of covid and we were flying 747 loads of people out of places like Wuhan. When this is over, it doesn't sound like we're going to have a lot of airlines flying into Australia. It's obviously been significantly reduced. What will that mean for, one, the price of tickets, and two, how long will it take us to get to pre-pandemic levels where we can jump on a plane at any airport and get to wherever we want in the world? Um, that all depends on the rest of the world and how it handles COVID. And the way the United States is going, I can't see us ever going there. And I have to say, the way the UK is going into uh, a very bad second wave, it could be some time. Now, what will happen is what you won't get, unless we change our rules, you won't be getting all the flights coming from China. Will they have lost so much money, the airlines, that they need to charge exorbitant prices to actually get these planes up in the air once things re reopen? Tom, it won't work that way because economically um, you only can make money in this business if you've got uh, the aircraft almost full. The way the economics are that it's been driven down so low and the expectation on fares of things like $1,500 return to Europe, you're going to have to meet those sort of fare levels to get people to travel because there's a hell of a lot of people who are going to be scared of SARS for a very long time. And to attract people, you're going to have to meet the market. And I think you'll see very strong evidence of that now that we're coming alive domestically in Australia, that we're going to be, the airlines are meeting the markets and uh, the prices are going to stay down. So this in itself, because of all the, the hitches, will keep prices down, I believe, for the next two to three years. That was Neil Hansford, aviation expert. So Annika, Given what you've heard from politicians and reading between the lines on some of those statements, how do you think the situation's going to change and will those 25,000 people get home before Christmas? Scott Morrison's optimistic, which means one of two things will happen. These caps will slightly increase. You'd have to think at some point when Melbourne gets under control, planes will be allowed to come back in there. They've left the window open for the possibility that perhaps they might get more people home on charter planes. Now, you might remember at the start of the pandemic, they brought thousands of people back in, stranded Aussies from overseas. So there is a chance that will happen. But if it does, they might have to go up to Darwin to a workers' camp and spend quarantine up there. So it'll be no Hilton or Shangri-La for these return travellers. Tomorrow on The Briefing, we take a look at the global campaign to strip Beijing of the 2022 Winter Olympics. A Podcast One production.